it's sunny outside. Jesus, what a sunny day. And I am sitting here. I'm not out having fun in the sun. Instead, I'm sitting here in my underpants in the dark doing my podcast for you. What a what a selfless individual I am. <laughs> I could be outside having fun in the sun with bodacious babes. Because that's where bodacious babes hang out, in the sun. According to every early 90s American television show I've seen anyway. But instead I'm in here selflessly giving my time to talk to you. And I hope you appreciate it. <laughs> Welcome to Shane's Brilliant Podcast. The number one podcast in Ireland. And the UK, Spain and Botswana. How are you all getting on my friends? It's good to be talking to you. My name is Shane Clifford. If you don't know who I am, well, look me up, man, and you'll find everything you need to know. I'm just a great guy all around, and it's good to be here uh, talking to you this week. Um, I did get some sun. I went out there about uh, half an hour ago because I eat a banana every day, right? I'm a banana man, and I said I'd bring my banana down to the canal in the sun. And so I walked down to the canal, which is about six minutes from the house, and I stood there alone, eating a banana. And about halfway through the banana, I realized what a sad bastard I am. What a sad life I lead. That this is the highlight of my my, my week, my month. Eating a banana next to <laughs> next to a canal. I got so excited. That's how cooped up I've been for the last year in this little fucking two by four solitary confinement apartment that the thought of eating a banana by the canal in the sun gave me butterflies in my stomach can you believe that I got excited to go out there and eat some fruit by a body of water (laughs) doesn't even make sense why is that exciting I better not eat a peach on the beach or I'll fucking have a nosebleed but listen enough about my pathetic life how are you all doing my friends I hope you're out there having a great time, enjoying the weather, um, you know, meeting people in gardens or whatever you're allowed to do now, who knows. And, uh, you know, I hope life is good for you. Honestly, I do. I really do. I hope life is good for you and uh, you're having fun and enjoying yourself. Uh, One fellow who is not having fun or enjoying himself, of course, uh, a friend of the former friend of the show, Prince Philip. Um, who has sadly passed on, of course, big uh, supporter of this podcast. He pay, he used to do, pay the 200 euro a month on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Shane's Brilliant Podcast. And he uh, often would send me an email supporting the show. Uh, I couldn't read any of them out. They were very racist, but it, we, I support, you know, I, I appreciated it. Uh, all the same. And it's sad to see him go because apparently his last words were uh, cheers, nice one, thanks, Hobnob. And that's what I've heard. That's what they've been telling me. So it's sad to see him go, you know. Um, in England, of course, they're all distraught. I was watching some of This Morning with Philip and Har- Holly and uh, they were talking about Prince Philip and they were going, what a great guy, you know, what a selfless uh, servant to his country. and I just had to laugh just like I did there because how can you be a selfless servant to your country if you're living in a fucking castle my man's living in a castle with a throne he lives in a house with a throne 
He lives in a fucking palace. That's not selfless. <laughs> but they were talking about it like they weren't taking the piss. They were talking about it with straight faces on. They were saying this man devoted his life to selfless service to his country. <laughs> I mean, listen, how could you, uh, you want selfless service, fucking look my way, because here I am doing this podcast week in, week out, that is selfless service, I should get a medal, I should have a statue of me in Trafalgar Square, because of my selfless service to this, to the world, but not (laughs) Prince Philip, the man lived in a, he can't, listen, it was just, it's ridiculous, of course, uh, you know, we like to make fun of the British over here in Ireland. We just do. And so when we see them acting a bit ridiculous, it kind of makes us laugh and forget about our own ridiculousness. And of course, they on Friday night, I was going to watch Top of the Pops, like I usually do. Um, you know, the old Top of the Pops on BBC4, but they suspended it. No Top of the Pops, because Prince Philip is dead. They also suspended EastEnders, and that led to record complaints to the BBC Thousands and thousands of people complained because if there's one fucking thing you don't take away from the Brits, it's their soaps. The British people were like, no, man, fucking, he's just an old, he's an old guy that died. He was 99. It's not a big tragedy. I mean, it's sad for anyone to die, but it's not a tragedy if a 99-year-old prince dies who lived the most sheltered, privileged life imaginable. It's not, I wouldn't say it's a tragedy. The guy lived till 99. You know what I mean? There's no point turning off the TVs and giving a minute silence because if a prince lived to the age of 99. <laughs> uh, selflessly, of course. You have to admit, he did look pretty bad towards the end. Uh, I And when I say the end, I mean towards the end, I mean the last 20 years. <laughs> and then they sent out, um, I saw on television, they sent out Andrew. Prince Andrew to talk to the press, to talk to the BBC, to talk to the world. Bad choice, I thought. <laughs> Bad choice. There's one thing I know from PR, uh, and I know you know me. I'm I'm a PR machine. My number one rule of thumb always. I give this advice to. And I run a PR company, and this is the advice I give to my clients. If you're going to make a statement, do not have your brother who is wanted by the FBI in a connection with uh, child sex trafficking, deliver it. That's just, that's just a root of thumb that I believe in, in PRs. The number one is the golden rule. Do not have your, anyone at all that's connected in any way with any form of sex trafficking, especially child sex trafficking, deliver your, um, <laughs> your statement to the world. You know, that's just what I, I, I believe in. Uh, you can call me old-fashioned, maybe. You can say, Shane, man, you're out of touch. You're out of time, man. Things have moved on in the PR world, but that's what I believe in, and it served me well up to now. Well, i tell you the worst thing I ever did in my life. One of them, anyway, top five. It was when my girlfriend's, at the time, my ex-girlfriend, when her grandfather passed away, and I was working in Tesco. I wasn't a manager then. This was when I was just a a pleb. <laughs> When I was just stacking beans, um, counting beans. I used to count beans. That was my life. But I told them, I said, listen, uh, sorry, my girlfriend's grandfather passed away. I need to get the day off so that I could go to the funeral. And they were like, oh, yeah, Shane, man, 
you know, no problem. That's great. No problem. Take a few hours off after lunch. That's fine. Meanwhile, I told my girlfriend, uh, I can't get off. Can't get off work. The bastards won't leave me off. <laughs> they won't leave me off. Uh, you know, fucking the man. I hate the man, the big company man, you know. And she was like, that's all right, Shane. Work thought I was going to a funeral. People at the funeral thought I was at work. And I went and played FIFA instead. <laughs> I remember, just got a flashback there of the next day I went to the funeral. Okay, you know, the burial. And when I went there, I didn't have any clue. I didn't know what to wear. I was a stoner. You know what I mean? I didn't put much. I was playing FIFA all night. It was up till five o'clock in the morning playing FIFA or Pro, Pro Evolution Soccer 6. And uh, I went to the funeral. I just threw on whatever clothes. I didn't know. And I remember my girlfriend's cousin, who was old, an older guy. He was, well, he was 30. I was 18. Looking at me with intense hate because I had a big white jacket on. <laughs> and jeans at the burial. It was like bright white. But I didn't do it out of like a mark of disrespect. You know, I was just an idiot. I just didn't know what I was doing. But I, I it could be seen as, you know, saying like, fuck you. Because <laughs> I remember that night at the, you know, at the funeral where you all go drinking. Like he, when I showed up in that white jumper, white top, bright white jeans, everybody else in fucking suits. He looked at me with such intense hatred, palpable hatred. I can still feel it now, 20 years later. You know, I grabbed my my shirt and went, yay, 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 my shirt collar, yay, 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 steam came out. That's how fucking intense it was. And I remember that night in the pub, he came up to me and I was with my girlfriend and he looked at me in the face and he said, you know, Shane, I get on with everybody, but I have a hard time getting on with you. And he walked off. <laughs> oh, good times. Um, that's my advice to you. If you're ever going to a funeral... Don't show up in a white top, especially, you know, just don't just put on a suit. Okay. Especially if it's your girlfriend's. That's something I've learned in my life. But anyway, listen, enough of this morbid talk. <laughs> Let's move on to something a little bit more positive. There is um, an atmosphere around, a general feeling in the air that things are going to be getting back to normal um, soon. Whether that's based on reality or not, but that's just a feeling in the air. That's what is kind of, you can feel it. There are, in Dublin City, more people walking around the place. Um, I'm sure it's the same everywhere, you know, from Tipperary to Donegal. What do they do up in Donegal, you know? I've never been there. Um, I wonder what they do up there. What's life like in Donegal? It's a place that I can barely even imagine what it's like. When I think, close my eyes and think of Donegal, I think of the sea and I think of a fella looking out there who has never heard of the internet. (laughs) And I say that as a guy who comes from Kerry. But anyway, listen, what I'm saying is there's a feeling that we're going to be getting back to normal soon, normality. And Kira and I went into town on Sunday, which is another thing that I don't tell you about growing up, about getting old, about going into your 30s. When you're young, when you're in your, when you're like a fifteen year old, no, no, older, you're like eighteen to twenty nine. Every Sunday is the same. You lie in bed or on a couch, feeling sorry for yourself because you go, "Why did I fucking drink that? Why did I say that to him? Why did I show my tits to the fucking bouncer?" That's what your Sunday is. 
It's a day for lying around, feeling sorry for yourself, maybe throwing in the odd wank. And that's all you do. But when you become a fucking 30 year old, for some reason, every Sunday you have to go into town with your partner, your significant other. And that is another thing, by the way, you have to start calling your girlfriend, your partner for some reason. And you have to go into town and you have to go around shopping for household items. And that is the tragedy of life. (laughs) And I look back at people who are supremely hungover that they can't even move because of the amount of drugs who have texted ex-boyfriends or ex-girlfriends the night before telling them they love them when they don't. You know, I look at them with envy. I say, I fucking wish that I could be lying there in bed in pain instead of having to go in to a carpet shop. I cannot imagine a worse fate imaginable to a human being than having to look at carpets and paint. Different coloured shades of paint. That's what you do though in your 30s. That's what your life becomes. Looking at different pots. Going, mm, you know, could we, will we get this pot or do we have enough pots at home? <laughs> That's what your fucking life becomes. So if you're young and you're like, oh, Sundays are boring. Fucking uh, be careful with the devil you, you, you kiss or whatever the phrase is. But me and Kira, we went into town. And we went into a big Irish supermarket in the centre of Dublin. And it was full of people, jam-packed. And I started to panic. Now, I've been on medication for six years or more. And I have not really... I still have panicked a few times, you know, panic attack. Um, But on Sunday, I nearly had a full-blown panic attack inside in the supermarket because of all the people that were in there and like I said not because I was like oh they shouldn't be in there but just because I think I'm just not used to being around so many people for the last year I haven't talked I have I've spoken to about four people in in the whole year for more than two minutes the only person I talk to aside from Kira every day is the fella in the mace down the road and I go Hi, when are the snack bars coming back in? You know, that's pretty much the the, the 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 amount of people that I've been around. So to be in a place that was so busy, I started panicking. And I started heavy breathing. You know, like, <sighs> I was fucking hyperventilating by the Nutella inside in the supermarket. And Kira was looking at me, are you all right? And I was like, yeah. Because, you know, sometimes when you get panicky, you become a little belligerent. <laughs> That's what I find anyway. You become a little bit of a of a prick. You're like, yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine, like. I'm fine, leave me alone. <laughs> but that's what happened. And I had to get out of there. I just wanted to get out of there and get home and get away from people. Now, also, before I was going in there, I was I was walking in with a bottle of Coke that I had bought in another shop. And I have this irrational fear, so maybe this triggered it too. I have this irrational fear of walking into shops, I don't know why, walking into shops with <laughs> something I've bought in another shop and being arrested. Now, I know that it's so stupid that that's not going to happen. But does that happen to any of you where you have like a bottle of Coke or a book or a magazine or something that you bought in a fucking spare and you walk into a Tesco 
and you're like, oh shit, I, I can't walk in there because they're going to think that I robbed the bottle of coke. Which doesn't make sense because I know, I like I said, I work retail. I know the rule that for catching people robbing, scone, scone is called. S, selection. You have to see them making a selection. C, concealment. You have to see them concealing the goods. O, you have to observe them doing it. N, you have to see non-payment. E, exit. You have to see them exiting without paying. Scone. I know scone. All right. You could have cone, concealment, observing them concealing it. Non-payment and exit. But if you didn't see them taking it off, if you didn't have the S, selection, or you can't do anything. So you have to have all five of them. Scone. I know that. But I still have this irrational fucking fear. I don't know what it is. It's a fear of authority. Do you know, I always, you know the way people have problems with authority and where they kind of go, fuck you, dad. I have a problem with authority in that I'm terrified of it. I'm like, okay, dad. <laughs> You know, that's my problem with authority. Like, if I have to talk to a boss, in a, I'm like, hello, sir. Yes, sir. No, sir. You know, I'm, I become a little pussy. So I'm afraid. I don't know what. It, I think it's because of growing up in my house. <laughs> my father was always angry because he had to work fucking 70 hours a week. And, you know, just growing up in that environment that I'm afraid of any, you know, fucking everything. So I was nervous going in there in the first place. But when I was in there, I fucking, I, I nearly had a full-blown panic attack. I had to get out of there. I was sweating and everything. That was the opposite of Prince Andrew. I was pumping, pumping sweat. I think it's a mixture of just me being, you know, having silly, irrational fears. I have a lot of irrational fears, by the way, when I think about it. I have an irrational fear of being arrested by a fucking uh, security guard. Another side of the, the coin is, I know a lot of bouncers and security guards in shops. A lot of them are complete psychopaths. <laughs> From my experience, all right, you might be a bouncer or a security guard. You might be a lovely guy. But I'm talking about the guys I've experienced. 99% of them are clinical psychopaths. Like I used to work with a security guard years and years ago who was a bouncer, moonlighted as a bouncer in a nightclub. And... Uh, <laughs> He'd come in some Sunday mornings, having been working on Saturday night in the nightclub, and he would be, eyes would be wide, like he was bugging out. And I go, good night last night. Yeah, the fucking took a fellow out to the back room. And that's when you knew they beat the absolute shit out of a guy. And he'd tell me about it in detail. You know, some guy was being a dickhead, so they kicked the shit out of him, the bouncers. And when he was telling me about it, his eyes were, it was like a fella after snorting a load of sniffing fucking poppers. That's how high he was getting off the describing of violence, which is psychopathic behavior. So maybe I've got, I'm afraid of that too, of getting kicked and murdered by a, a security guard. <laughs> but like I said, there are rational fears. I have another rational fear is heights. And I used to never be afraid of heights, but now I'm terrified of it. I can't even look at the spire of Dublin, not because I think it's disgusting and an eyesore, but I can't look up at the top of it because I start getting dizzy. I was down in Tralee Town Park during the Rosa Tralee Festival one year, and on a Sunday they have a family day down the town park, and there was a clown, an actual clown, he was dressed as a clown. Anyway, I don't know if he was a clown. I don't know if he went to clown college. <laughs> I don't know if he was, um, I don't know if he got a his masters in clowning, but he was pretending to be a clown. Maybe he was just a guy pretending to be a clown. It's hard to tell the difference between a fella who's a clown and a fella who's pretending to be a clown when they're dressed like a clown. 
<laughs> you know what I mean? But he was up a ladder. It was a ladder in the ground going straight up in the air. It wasn't leaning on anything. It was just going straight up. And he was climbing up the top of the ladder and he was doing all sorts of acrobatics on top of it, pretending he was going to fall. And there was little kids sitting around in a circle looking up at him. And he was pretending he was falling and doing all this stuff up there. And they were all laughing and cheering. I was there. I was about 24. And I had to leave because I was nearly throwing up with fear of him falling. But when I was young, I used to never be afraid of heights. Like I hate being on planes. Even though I know you're not, I'm not going to die. You know, I have more chance of dying when I make a slice of toast because of the state of my toaster, you know, uh, than fucking dying in a plane crash. And this is more than just being afraid when you get older. This is a subconscious thing. Because I remember then, why ha- I, I think this is what happened. When I was young, I used to always be, I was never afraid of heights. One time I jumped out a two-story uh, house off the top window for the laugh. You know what I mean? Um, and I used to climb walls and climb big high trees and stuff. But one time uh, there was a neighbor of mine called Athlone Billy. And he was, his wife used to hoover the grass from time to time. So they were kind of an odd couple. And he locked his keys inside his house. Okay, this isn't truly Gallows Field, the mean streets. And Billy locked his keys in the house and he was like, is there anybody here that will climb a ladder and go in the top window? The top window is open, you see. Go in, open the front door for me. So I, being a brave, heroic individual for, you know, a 12-year-old, I said, I'll go up there, Billy. So they got a ladder. And this is back in the days when... Kids used to be kids, you know. (laughs) So they weren't all sitting inside playing the PlayStation. Children were out on the road. So they're gathered in a big crowd. And they put the ladder up to the window. And I said, I'll go up. And I started climbing up the the ladder. And I got about halfway up, I think. Which, thinking about it now, isn't even that high. It's only up to the fucking the bottom window. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but I got about halfway up and I was started shaking and the ladder was shaking and I looked down and everybody was looking up at me and they were going, I remember like Athlone Billy was going, Shane, are you going to go up or what? <laughs> you know, <laughs> Shane, are you going in? What are you doing? And it seemed like it only, it probably only lasted a minute or two, but it felt like it went on for, you know, half an hour. And like all my neighbors, you know, my people that I, the kids that I play with and stuff, all standing around the bottom of the ladder looking up at me. And I remember it was like a huge failure in my childhood. And they had to send someone halfway up the ladder to start taking my feet and pull it down onto the rung underneath. You know what I mean? Like, come on, Shane, put it down. Yeah, I, I have you. I have you. Yeah, you're on the next. Like, I, I, I was frozen with fear. And I wonder, is that... Because I remember when I came down, people were like, Shane, you were you were afraid to go up the ladder. Because then my neighbour, Kieran Moran, went up the ladder and went in and everybody was saying how great he was. And people were saying, Shane, you were fucking afraid to go up the ladder, boy. <laughs> and I was going, I wasn't. I mean, completely ridiculous lie. <laughs> I just didn't want to go up like. But I remember, I can remember that fucking fear and the shame 
of it. And I wonder, you know, is that like Freud would say that that is the reason for my fear of heights, not fear of falling and dying, but the childhood shame that it represents. Now, Freud would also say that my fear of heights is as a result of my joining the Mile High Club with my mother. But who so who cares what he has to say about anything? But there, do you have any like irrational fears? Like I, of course, my, another one of my big fears that fills me with dread, having to ring somebody, having to talk to someone on the phone. That's a classic. Another one I have is being murdered in my bed. Like I listen to music with headphones sometimes and sometimes I'll be lying there and my eyes are closed and I'm deep listening to the music. And then I'll think, imagine if you opened your eyes and there was a serial killer standing over you. And then I'm like, oh, fuck. And then I start getting afraid, like really afraid. So I have to open my eyes really slow, like peek out, with you know, under my eye, under the blanket. And of course there's nobody fucking there. It's just my cat, Georgie, pawing me in the face. And that's another irrational fear, that someone's going to break in and kill me. I always have that. I keep an, a knife by the bed. A butter knife, but it's better than nothing. Another one I've always had since childhood, I don't know why. Getting my penis caught in the door. I don't know. <laughs> I've never been naked with my penis near a door. But that's since I've been, as far as I can remember, I've always been afraid of getting my penis caught in a closed door. Because you know what? You've ever got your fingers caught in a car door? Imagine that happening to your genitals. It would not be nice. And that's something that I've always been afraid of. And that's an irrational fear. Like that's a real fear. Uh, another one that I always have every day. Coming home from town. And seeing the houses on fire. Like that's a real one too. I'm always afraid that I've come home and I fucking forgot to plug out something or I left the oven on and the house is on fire. And I, like sometimes I think when I'm walking up the road, oh, is that smoke there coming from my house? And then I'm like, oh, no, it's just some other houses on fire. Phew. <laughs> oh, it's just the orphanage. Ooh, not too bad. Thank God for that. But do you have any like irrational, crazy fears like that? Um, but this fear in the, this, this, um, panicking inside in the supermarket, this wasn't really like that. This was more, I think, like I said, I've been in this fucking house for a year and it's tiny. It's fucking tiny. It's tiny. One time I said to Carrie, you know what? I'm going to have sex with you in every room of the house. I'll have sex with you in the kitchen. I'll have sex with you in the bedroom. Uh, that's it. <laughs> you know, it's fucking tiny. So to be in here for a year and then have to go out and I'm actually, when I was reading like a few weeks ago about people who are afraid of having to go back to normal life, I remember thinking, ah, oh, for fuck's sake, lads, will you come on? Are you afraid of everything? Meanwhile, I'm afraid of fucking getting my penis caught in the door. But I remember thinking that. And then in that supermarket the other day, it, it it kind of affected, it came home to me what that is like. And I suppose there's a lot of people that are going to have that just because they're so used to being cocooned inside in this little protective fucking house. It, what the, All the scary stuff was outside. You were inside. You're safe. And now you have to start going back out again. So I wonder, is that going to be a harder mentally 
for a lot of people than the actual um, the lockdown at the start. Because I remember the lockdown was like fucking Christmas, the first one. For me, anyway, it was like, oh my God, what the fuck is going on? The world is ending. But I get to sit in here and fucking drink cans. Brilliant. I didn't mind that. And maybe because I'm an introvert or whatever, that the lockdown was fine, was fine for me on the most part. But having to go out now and talk to people is going to be fucking, you know, hellish. But we'll get used to it, I suppose. And I suppose if you're thinking the same way, you you should know. You know, if you find yourself in the supermarket and you're down by the um, by the fucking curry powder and you start pissing your pants, don't worry, everybody's pissing their pants down there, okay? Um, but then, of course, on top of all that, we're trying to organize a wedding, which is a nightmare. <laughs> Especially in a pandemic, because no play, every venue we've got in touch with, they're like, you know, we're, we don't know what's going on. We can't give you an answer to any fucking question you ask. Um, so you don't, we don't know what's happening. Kira's like, I want to, you know, she has her, a certain idea of how she wants it to be, which I think every person or every woman who wants to get married kind of has. It's like, I want it to be this way that I've been dreaming of since I was a little girl. And meanwhile, I, I'm like, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> I'm like to Kira, Kira, I'm trying to disguise it as being romantic. I'm like, Kira, you're all I want. I'll marry you tomorrow in City Hall. But me, I'm trying to you know make it romantic, but really I'm just trying to be cheap. <laughs> I'm like fucking George in Seinfeld. You know, in Seinfeld when he's getting married to um, Susan and he walks into the wet, by the wedding invitations and the lady goes, here's our big catalog of wedding invitations um the most expensive ones are at the front and he just flips it to the back <laughs> that's what i'm like but no of course uh i kind of want to do whatever way kira wants to do it but like i said in a fucking pandemic everything's closed you don't know what you're doing and also i i'm aware of this fact that a lot of people don't seem to, to realize they don't think about it when it comes to their own wedding okay most people who get a wedding invitation, their first reaction when they open the wedding invitation is this, oh, fuck. <laughs> you know what I mean? They're like, oh, for fuck's sake. No one. Unless they're very close, unless it's like your son or your mother or your dog, no one likes getting a wedding invitation. So I'm very conscious of that. You know, I'm like, we only need to invite people that want to come. And I don't, like, if I invite someone and they go, listen, man, I can't, I don't want to go to your wedding. I'd go, listen, I fucking understand. Who wants to go to a wedding? It's a day out. You have to go to a, t a church or whatever. You have to go to a ceremony. You have to eat food and listen to people making speeches. And you have to do uh, Rock the Boat and the Siege of Venice. Who wants that? It's 2020, man. You're still doing the Siege of Venice. <laughs> you know, so I'm aware of that too. Um, but no, it should be a grand old day out. So give us a day out. Oh yeah, great. I'll give you a day out and then I have to spend a lifetime in. One of the other most cringy moments of my life, apart from the fucking ladder, happened to me at a wedding. 
when I was, I'd say 18. I wasn't drinking long because I could barely handle my drink. And I was ended up at an afters of the wedding and I was in the, res, what's it called? The residence bar, right? And the bride and groom were there and the best men and the fucking priest was there. And I was 18 and I had just read a lot of Dickie Dawkins, Richard Dawkins books. Well, I read The God Delusion or something. So I was like, hey, man, I'm a fucking atheist. You're an idiot. You know, that fucking phase that 18 year old boys went through back in those days. And uh, I ended up sitting next to the priest. (laughs) And I was absolutely pissed. Now, this priest, he was a young fella. Thinking about it now, he was was definitely just in his 30s. So young for a priest. And he just wanted to relax, have a few drinks, be normal. Because priests aren't normal. So he wanted to be normal. And he had this fucking 18-year-old cunt. You know, I fucking don't fucking disrespect, you know, like, but I just don't believe in God, man. (laughs) Like he's been to college to study theology and an 18 year old drunk kid is coming up to him, telling him the reasons that God don't exist. <laughs> and that's something that I look back on. It would shame because I it's I feel like it went on for a long time. Um, You know, talking to him going uh, fucking, you know, I mean, how can God be real? Like, you know, probably not making any sense anyway. I mean, what a little... That's one of the most um, cringy moments of my life, too, looking back. Now, I will say this, and I don't know if it was me, but that same priest left the priesthood maybe five years later. Now, it was probably... (laughs) He probably isn't going, thank God for that drunken 18-year-old prick. He probably just, you know, came to his senses. There's so much shit that you have to organize in a wedding that nobody tells you about. And like, I have people then telling me, like my mother going, I sent her a venue, you know, we were thinking of this. What's the cost? Here's the cost, they said. Uh, what about the hidden costs? What are what about the hidden costs? What about them? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know about the fucking hidden costs. They're hidden. That's the whole point. <laughs> if they weren't, they'd just be costs. The whole point of hidden costs is you don't know about them until you have to pay for, pay them. So I'll stop. Just leave me alone with the hidden costs. There's going to be hidden costs. And that's that. Okay. I'll have a breakdown about the hidden costs when I find out that they're not hidden anymore. And they're just normal costs. <laughs> um. So anyway, you know, uh, the wedding planning is going well. That's the, what you have to- Wedding planning is going just uh, without a hitch, you know, so that's that's what you should take away from that. And I feel sorry for Kira getting, first of all, getting married to me, you know, afraid to go into a supermarket with a fucking half a bar of dairy milk in case I get shit kicking out of me and put to jail for life. All right. But also because I'm a, an idiot, like she's there. Uh, oh, we have to organize this now, Shane, you know, and we have to organize a venue and then. You know, what about, you know, the band and we have to figure out the invitation list and we have to do that, blah, blah, blah. And I'm going, wouldn't it be funny if our first dance was from, was uh, to jamming by Bob Marley? <laughs> like, that's my fucking input. Wouldn't it be funny if jamming by Bob Marley was our first dance? <laughs> She's going, Shane, can you fucking please 
please pay attention to what I'm saying. <laughs> you know, imagine that. I imagine having to put up with that. Oh, um, I forgot to mention, I a couple of weeks, a few, well, about a month ago, I suppose, I told you about my uh, family tree and all that. And Kira was descended from William of Orange, which I don't know if you believe me or not, but it's true. Um, is it William of Orange, William the Conqueror, one of the fucking Protestant bastards? But uh, I got my, I did a DNA test, got my DNA test back a couple of days ago. And the results were... Drum roll, 100% Irish. <laughs> Fucking hell. What a waste of time. A waste of my time. A waste of the DNA testers' time. A waste of everyone. I'm 100% Irish. Well, I could have told you that. <laughs> Give me something juicy, you know? Give Throw in a bit of Mexican. Throw in a bit of fucking Asian or African or something. Just let me something to throw in, Um, you know, a, a, a fucking... A different dad or something. You know what I mean? Give me something that I can fucking work with here. Not a fucking uh, 100% Irish. I mean, come on. What a, Call a spade a spade. But instead of just calling it a spade, send it to a lab for them to test it and then go, yeah, it's a spade. Because that's what happened. <laughs> you know, it was like, how much was it? It was like 90 quid or something to be told that I'm Irish. Great. Thanks. Here, here, do you know what nationality I am? You're you're Irish. Yeah, here's 90 quid. Thanks a million. Oh, well, well, that's great. I was born and raised in Ireland. Thanks for telling me that. Thanks for filling me with that information. Here's here's a load of money. Ah, <laughs> oh, but you know, I think it's pointless to do it if you're Irish and you don't, you know, you don't have any um, foreign blood in you. If you're American, of course, they're all fucking immigrants. So it's probably exciting for them. They're like, oh, Irish and uh, Italian and, uh, you know, German. But for me, it's just Irish. And then you get like a list of all your DNA matches. So I was able to build, I have 300 people in my family tree that I was able to build up. One side of my family completely made up of Kerry farmers. All the way back. They never left the county. Other side of my family completely made up of Kerry labourers. Never left the county. Just all stuck in Kerry for the last thousand years. You know, that's what I come from. Just Kerry through and through. Just 100% Irish. So if you're thinking of doing it, just kind of, you know, keep that in mind. They're not going to tell you that you're really, you know, you're really fucking Russian. You're really from Siberia. Okay, so keep your expectations to a minimum. Especially if your name is like Moriarty or something. So I don't have much more to say. Uh, this was a kind of a rambly episode, I suppose, <laughs> as opposed to the rest of the well-thought-out episodes and the planning and the, the the hard work and the effort and all that. But, uh, oh, I suppose I should do Shane's Cultural Corner. I watched like nine films this week and uh, most of them this week were bad. Terrible. Watched a lot of bad films this week. One of them was called The Time Traveler's Wife. Have you seen this film? It's fucking horrendous. Eric Bana. Whatever happened to him? But he is a time traveler who has no control over... It's kind of like, you remember Quantum Leap? It's a bit like that, except he... He travels through his own lifetime. So he'll be younger, and then he'll travel to when he's older, and then when he's older, he'll travel to when he's younger. It's kind of complicated. 
Well, it's not really, but he um he's a time and he meets a girl, all right, a woman, and he goes back to when she's young and she's like nine or something, and he's like forty and he's talking to her and he's telling her, you know, I'm going to grow up to marry you. Which, and then he grows up, you know, she grows up to be Rachel McAdams and they get married and it's a romance time travel film, basically. And, but it's a bit creepy because he's going back to her when she's fucking seven going, I'm going to marry you, you know, I'm a handsome man. I'm going to marry you. Nowadays, that would be called grooming. That's what they call it nowadays. But in this time, when this film was made in 2009, it's, it's perfectly normal for a grown man to tell a young girl he's going to marry her when she grows up. It's a bit weird. And besides that, it's just a really shitty film anyway. They made Eric Bana look young by just putting a brown wig on him. You know what I mean? This is before the Irishman came along with the great digital effects um, on the faces. So you had to make somebody younger. You just put a wig on him. And... Um, but it's a really poor film. But a good film that you should watch, and I mentioned this on the weekend pod on the Patreon, is called In the Bedroom. Came out in 2001. I fucking loved this film. In If you can find it, it's called In the Bedroom, starring, you know, Tom Wilkinson. He was in about a 500 films around the year 2000 to 2007. And then he disappeared. And Sissy Spacek is in it. And it's about a the mother and a father who have a son who's going starts going out with a a divorcee, a divorce lady, and her ex husband comes along, and he's a prick, and he's played by Tom Cruise's cousin in real life. And uh, imagine in the film he was. T- it was just a normal drama film, but the character happened to be Tom Cruise's cousin. That would be good, actually. Just a, dra- a courtroom drama about um, a murder or something. And uh, one of the characters in it was like, keeps having to tell people that he's Tom Cruise's Look, yeah, I am Tom Cruise's cousin. And it's never mentioned again. But the actor is Tom Cruise's cousin. And he does something unspeakable and it leads to a series of events. I won't ruin it more much more than that but it's brilliant it's like three films mixed in one there's romantic comedy then it goes into a sort of drama about grief i kind of ruined it there a bit <laughs> and then there's a sort of a thriller aspect to it. it's fucking amazing the way it's made i loved it the acting is brilliant that's my tip for the week shane's top tip of the week is a film called in the bedroom um what else no oh, i'm listening to an audiobook about World War Two by Anthony Beaver. And uh, I keep falling asleep, so I, I can't tell you if it's good or not. I just fall asleep after 10 minutes. I mean, I get through the book really fast that way. I get through it in about two days because, you know, I get just, you know, I sleep for eight hours and that kills off most of the, I get through most of the book that way. Um, so that's kind of good at once. You get through about 500 books a year. Um but uh, yeah, so that's it. In the Bedroom, Anthony Beaver's Second World War. It's about this war that happened back in the 40s in Europe. And uh, the big twist comes in, our, in the middle. The Japanese sneak attack. I was shocked. They sneak attack, uh, drop bombs on uh, Pearl Harbor. And the US come into the war. It's a whole scene. I don't know how it ends. <laughs> but uh, I'm looking forward to it. Um so I'm doing that and I'm watching the movies 
and I hope you're doing well. And thanks a million for listening. And if you want to so, uh, follow me on Instagram, it's at Berlin Shane. If you want to send me an email. Sh- oh, by the way, before I go, I must say this. I forgot. Last week, I was feeling pretty low. Anxious, angry, down, scared. And I opened my heart on this here podcast and I said listen lads I'm not doing too well not doing too well at all not doing too well at the moment is there anyone out there that can help me I said do you remember I said is there anyone out there that has any advice or how to get better and I I said please get in touch and in fairness maybe six or seven people did get in touch Now, they didn't get in touch to give me advice about how to get better or how to feel better. They got in touch to tell me that I was wrong about the age of Kurt Cobain. (laughs) Not one person gave me advice or help. Not Seven to nine people got in touch saying, Shane. You said Kurt Cobain was 27 when he died, and he died 27 years ago. That means he'd be 54, but you said 44. Well, thank you very much, my listeners. I know that when times get tough, when I'm at my last, down to my last straw, when there's no more straws left, when I'm hanging on to life and limb by... The fingernails. When, you know, the end is near and the dark night is descending upon me. I know I can count on you listeners to correct my maths. (laughs) So I'll leave you on that. If you want to support the Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Shane's Brilliant Podcast. And um, until next time, cheers, nice one, thanks, and hobnob. Mm-hmm.